stepping of this man, Luke Johan. Bounce off from McNulty, and away he goes! Harry McNulty! Knight gets away, Knight up to the 22, he will be caught! Welcome back. We are episode 12 and the band is back together. All three of us are online. It's been a while since we're together. I think three months since uh, we were last all chatting. So welcome back to the doctor. Welcome back to Harry. How are we doing, gentlemen? Borda. Very good. Borda. Solange. <laughs> Very good. Tired. Where are you joining us from, Hazza? You're in LA still, aren't you? I'm in LA. I'm in Manhattan Beach, which is just south of the airport. Um, you just never know with this man, though, Nighty. It's always worth checking. Always worth yeah, checking. He, I could be anywhere. He could, um, he could be anywhere. I'm surprised you're not somewhere else. I'm looking to go other places. I was looking at flights to Hawaii last night, so maybe we'll do a Hawaii pod sometime. Um, Hawaii? It was man. It's a five-hour flight, so roughly five five and a half hours. So roughly, you could fly Dublin to Boston in that time if the winds are right, and it's, it's two hundred euros return. That's mental. It took me longer to get back from London to Swansea last weekend. It took me five, five and a half hours to drive 180 miles. Oh, <laughs> and you can fly to Hawaii. I know which one yeah. I prefer. I prefer exactly. to sit on the so, M25 for three hours. <laughs> so we're looking into it. I don't know. Obviously, um, it being an island, they have like different protocols for COVID and restrictions and stuff like that than the rest of the United States. Um so I just have to look into whether or not it's it's feasible or whatnot. So we'll see. But you could be, meet your own Mila, you could meet me Lacunas out there. Oh, don't twist <laughs> my watched, arm. I watched that the other day. That was quality. We watched it together, mate. We were we were sitting. Oh, there that's why. Together. That's why. Then we watched it yeah. <laughs> on the M25, wasn't it? <laughs> no, we were we were together. Doc, how are you doing? Where are you joining? You're joining us from Cardiff, eh? Yeah, just back in Cardiff. Um, yeah, nothing, nothing as exciting as trying to go to Hawaii. Although, um, hopefully, some sevens in the next couple of weeks, which I'm sure we'll get into, is what I've been looking forward to at the moment. We will certainly get into that. But you've been out and about, though, haven't you? You've been uh, dabbling around the UK a little bit. So uh, we were myself and you were coaching uh, for a couple of weeks uh, with UR Sevens Academy. And then uh, we had a good fun at a festival on the weekend, all points east up in London. First time being back around that many people for quite a while, but um, I loved it. Thought it was quality, two days, good music, sun was out, and uh, felt pretty normal. So, yeah, it was wicked. Yeah, it was class. And I didn't get COVID, so we're always winning there. We're always winning. Hazard, talk us through the moustache. <laughs> I bloody love it. I, I, yeah? Tom Selleck's back. Tom Selleck's back. I don't know. It was just kind of one of those last-minute decisions a couple of weeks ago. It was a boys' night. Just head up to go see one of my friends at West Hollywood and just decided to put on the mustache. Um, West Hollywood's quite a swanky area, especially when you go out at night. So, like, there's, like, a lot of, a lot of, like, the models and influencers and all that kind of stuff would be, like, living in that area. So they dress up to the, to the nines. So I thought, well, I'll just stick a mustache on and do whatever the hell I want to do. And then, uh, yeah, just kind of rocked it for the last couple of weeks and 
Um, I don't know. Might stay, might go. We'll see. You look more yeah, like your brother now because he's got one, doesn't he? Yeah. I, I always remember him having one. So yeah. Like so a lot of people are like, are oh, you twins and all this kind of stuff? But um, yeah, it's a bit of crack, you know. Are you take just a like, double I can, take. I can be whatever you want me to be. <laughs> twins. Exactly. Identical twins. twins. Yeah. So I don't know. Bit of crack. Bit of fun. Um, yeah. Not sure, actually. I don't know why I did it in the first place. It's not even November or anything, but uh, it's coming uh, up though. Get get it pre-growth then. Pre-growth, yeah. Some some of us need it, you know. Some more than others. This is three months with. I'm still still oh, going man. hard. Doc, we'll start with you, mate. We'll uh, we'll start with you in the world of rugby news. Obviously, not one you want to talk about, but obvious disappointment when you didn't get selected for Tokyo especially after Rio. But you addressed that disappointment in a pretty mature and open fashion with a pretty quality YouTube video, mate. I got to say, bloody loved it. Um, How to overcome a setback, you called it. Kudos for putting it out there. Talk me through that thought process behind that and, you know, must have been a tough one to to make. Cheers, yeah. It was um, probably one of the toughest ones to make, um, putting it out there on the YouTube channel. But... Kind of the idea behind it was that we, part of the YouTube channel was just trying to show people how kind of professional rugby works, not just from skills, fitness, nutrition point of view, but kind of everything that goes with it. So speaking with my brother, um, when we talked about floating the idea out there, I was like, ah, it's kind of, if you don't show this side of rugby, you're kind of selling people a bit of a dream the other way. Like there's uh most of rugby is really, really high and exciting and fun things, but you can't find a professional rugby player or professional athlete um, who probably doesn't have some kind of darker days or, or stories to go through. So it's always good to put it into a video and just show the full side of rugby. And the response from it has been pretty epic, to be honest. Lots of people getting in touch, um, saying they probably enjoyed it the most of the videos that we've put out there. So... Yeah, I'm really happy that it's it's helped a handful of people. Um, but yeah, definitely a tough one to make. Yeah, I was looking through the YouTube comments, some real good stuff there. Um, and I think as well, like you, you touched upon it, it's not all sunshine and rainbows in the rugby world. Uh, we go through some dark times, especially after injuries. And, you know, I can't fathom how you must have felt after that selection. So I got to say it was uh, a bloody good video and it, and sort of really opened opened my eyes as well to sort of how you're feeling. I think you addressed it in the video, didn't you? You said uh, you thought about re-recording it because you sounded really flat, but that's, that's how you were, wasn't it? Yeah, again, it comes down to kind of the point I was trying to make there. I um, tried my best to be energetic, speak normally through it. But um, yeah, when you do get those massive kind of knockbacks again, even if you think you're fine I think there's always some kind of physical effect to it and then um, yeah coming back to that first point I was like oh have you then refilmed it a week or two later again are you really showing what it's actually like so I decided to leave it like that obviously just put a little comment in on it just to acknowledge it because I think otherwise it would have been quite tough watching um, with the way I was speaking Um, but yeah thought it was best just to leave it in that kind of raw uh, almost slightly more natural state. Yeah, no, for sure. I think uh, 
video for whatever reason picks up on emotions so much more than any sort of media. Like no matter how much you try to act as though you're one way, like you'll always come across as how you actually feel. So I, think I watched the video as well, obviously. Um, obviously t- tough, tough to watch and, and to see like one of your good mates going through a bit of hardship. But um, I think, it, yeah, as you said, you wanted to show both sides of Rogan. I think it was a very strong video and going through all the comments, especially just what people were saying and the support that people gave, but also like what people were able to take away from it is, is worth its weight in gold in terms of um, the video itself. So I think, um, yeah, well done. Brilliant job on doing all that. It's not, not an easy thing to do. And um, I don't think uh, any other rugby players really have done much like that either you know when you go through social media it's always they might do like a, a little social media post very far down the line and you know they try and say like oh this is what's happened and no one's kind of known about it whereas you kind of just took it on the head and just went for it and did it when it was quite fresh so um refreshing to see from a professional sports point of view as well yeah i lads appreciate how quickly you did it and a sort of how raw it was i think that adds to it and Looking at the comments, mate. Coach of the Barbados Sevens team's getting in touch, saying he uses your videos for... Hey, get out there. Uh, to me, it's um, you, kind of YouTube putting those videos out there. It's amazing how far it does kind of reach. So, like, Barbados is pretty cool. Um, I did kind of throw my hat out there. If they wanted to have anybody come and coach, I'd uh, love to get out there. Um, get people from yeah everywhere South America Australia New Zealand different parts of Africa different parts in Asia um, so yeah it's a really cool medium I think to put stuff out on and uh, you just yeah shows you just never know who is watching or where people are watching no, it's like you're up to over about 5,000 subscribers now aren't you yeah so I think we're on 5.5 um, wow. which was a massive massive kind of milestone for us um and yeah quite a lot of work and then set our sights now on um 10,000 would be pretty cool do you get um, a plaque? Yeah. Do, do you get a youtube plaque from 10k i actually don't know i've um only ever seen people get plaques who've got like massive you know like, yeah. like half a mil or something like that but i assume there must be something even if you hit like 10 or well it'd be cool if they did anyway because even getting that kind of amount of followers um takes a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of stuff put in as you boys will know big time um yeah no the 10k would be fantastic i mean you're growing like i think once you hit around 5,000, you're just gonna like the snowball effect is huge i think every time i go on your page it's up a couple hundred so you're just flying but all the comments the majority of the comments that i see anyway um from like what you would call like third tier rugby programs or like dads and obviously that was the effect from COVID so like third tier would be like like guys just trying to learn and like how to pass rugby ball or whatever it is and then the dads being like oh you know I've got two kids and with COVID we haven't been able to train and you've been able to give us new ideas on how to practice different skills for um, training and the kids have gotten so much better at those specific skills and you know they can't wait to then show their friends and whatnot so that's very cool it's a great it's a great market um, 100% so yeah. that was kind of yeah that was kind of the, the market we were aiming for when we started it all off um, yeah 
still feels weird to be talking about lockdown kind of a year and a bit on. Uh, but yeah, when we were stuck in lockdown, that was kind of the inspiration behind it. So yeah, we definitely seem to be attracting people like that and helping them out. And um, yeah, it's always quite interesting just when you try to teach or present like a skill to someone who must be really, really new to it. And that really tests how well you understand it yourself, um, which has been quite interesting for me then taking some bits and bobs back when we do the physical coaching with the UR7s and stuff like that. Oh, man. Yeah. And you made it onto the socially distant sport bar. That's that's big. That's that's big. (laughs) That was cool. That was... uh, Do you listen to that podcast, Harry? No, no. I only listen to this podcast. (laughs) I didn't know there. I didn't know there was any other podcast. I thought this is yeah, the only one. I, this is the uh, only one. This is a new medium. We're the first to ever do this. So, like, there's nowhere else for me to go. So, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you, you should get on it. I'm pretty sure we've um, shown you some of the things from there. But um, it was quite interesting. Oh, it's quite a nice circle anyway to get on there because I think I started listening to that when they started in lockdown as well. Um, started listening when I was probably doing a load of that training for the Olympics and stuff and locked on my own or starting the YouTube channel um, at the same time. Um, so that was quite cool. They they spoke about it really well. And um, probably one of the main things I took away was similar to your point earlier, Harry. Um, they absolutely love sport, These uh, the three of them. Uh, and they kind of agreed that they'd never really seen um, someone do it so close in the moment. It's often autobiographical um, is that the right word so yeah someone we'll give, we'll give it to you yeah give it, um, kind of post-career and then trying to remember it but I always think this when I read um, autobiographies like you can't remember it that well surely like I struggle if someone was to ask me oh. what I was feeling like a year ago let alone like 20 years ago um, yeah. and there they said yeah just raw in the moment on the video so quite interesting interesting to see what was the name of the group of the podcast again the socially distance sports bar. sports bar. i think sports it's bar, potentially yeah. the bit the potentially the biggest podcast in britain at the moment is it 90 or something it's it's, oh, it's grown it. it's huge but yeah it's three welsh lads two comedians and a sports broadcast person um he's actually okay. a lecturer but they they just basically they started up they used to bring like two YouTube clips and a documentary each week and then just talk about them and it's oh. continued it going as it's grown huge. They're doing tours now and you know, they're doing they're doing rather well. Hilarious. Um and then Doc, you obviously made the you were uncertain about where you were rugby wise. You sort of questioned it all, but you've committed to Paris twenty twenty four. Tough mm-hmm. tough decision to make. Mm. Um, it was quite a tough one. Not so much in that the the kind of the dream to be an Olympian is still there, still as strong as it's been. Uh, more the roadmap to actually get in there just is a bit crazy at the moment. There's no real um, straight straightforward way of getting there that you can see. Like there's all chat around do GB stay on the World Series? Is it Wales? This and that. Um, there's so, a Commonwealth Games that, that comes up as well. So, like, there's you know, Commonwealth you Games chucked into then... it. Yeah, it's mad. It's mad. Um, obviously, I know I'm talking to Harry, you coming from Ireland. Yours has probably been one of the most difficult routes to the Olympics, but at least I think there was a 
route, even though it was gonna, it was always gonna take a minimum of like all the fi- all the FIRA, then on the World Series, mm-hmm. then into the Olympics. There was always like a, a route to it. If now, if someone was to probably try and write down how you're how you're gonna get to in the Olympics as a GB player at the moment, who you're gonna play for the next three years, it's mm. just your guess is as good as anyone else's. Like, wow, yeah, because. Um, I was talking to a few like of the well Scottish lads, you know. Um, when I was in I was in rugby town, I was rooming with Dougie Fife and then um, Sam Procure. So two lads who are involved with Scotland, they're not playing the sevens anymore. But even just chatting to them, they're just they don't even know what's going on. Um, like they they wouldn't they can't even comprehend like how it would all go together because they were you know they were telling me like the Commonwealth Games of the lads go back to Scotland for it. Like, um, some guys are signing contracts for GB. Like, how long... I'm not, I'm not sure, like, how long those are even for or some guys for longer than others. Like, do GB even know how long they're going to do the contracts for? And, like, what's the game plan going ahead? So it's quite interesting, the whole thing. Can you share any more light on that, Doc, on what the GB situation is? Or are you under strict confidentiality? Oh. Uh, <laughs> There's always some confidentiality, but mm-hmm. I imagine um, GB are definitely going till December. Um, mm-hmm. And then it's that period afterwards is where it gets a little bit like there's lots of conversations, but no um, uh, no answers probably at the moment. Firm answers yeah. yet at the moment. So even like the landscape just from sevens alone is pretty oh, um, up in the air. So like just adding that in with it as well. It's not as if... I think if there if if the sevens landscape was a lot more solid, then it'd be so much easier than f- from like a GB standpoint because then they would yeah. just be like, yeah, well we've got a series that is just coming up, so we'll just maintain the series, or you know the series is coming up, we won't, and we'll just all go back to the to our nations. Like it'd be easy enough. But now because there's a couple in in Canada that are going to go take place soon, like I haven't heard anything about those at all on any social media platform since they were named and then Hong Kong was pulled oh no Hong Kong was pulled recently like will Cape Town go ahead with everything that went on kind of with the Lions series and stuff um, and if those don't go ahead then like do you just host Dubai on its own do you host Singapore on its own it's like all these things that just keep cropping up so it's hard to even know where like when you can even get to play and stuff so it's a really tough landscape from all that point of view. It's it's mind-boggling, really, to be honest. Yeah, it's not the, the best for anyone wanting to pursue a career in sevens or mm. in sevens, is it? Currently, What's happening no. with Edmonton? Half the teams aren't even going. Is that isn't that right? Or like, yeah. So the it's a lot of the top teams as well. So kind of like New Zealand, Australia, Fiji. Don't think Samoa is there, and I can't. I think Argentina might not be there as well. Mm. Um, I think it's due to uh, the corona lockdowns restrictions that are happening in those countries at the moment. Um, I think a lot of them have quite long quarantines if you need to get back in, kind of two weeks plus. I mean, yeah. And I think there's a bit of a player welfare issue potentially there as well if they have to do that. So they try to go to the four tournaments that are left and after each, after three of those, you're gonna to have to quarantine for three weeks each time. Just gets a bit ridiculous. Like no one's gonna to want to do that. 
Yeah, like Australia and New Zealand and Fiji are only just out of quarantine from the Olympics, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> like, they, I think they've probably been home for about a week or two. Um, yeah. So, to then go to Edmonton and then come home again for two weeks, whatever it is, and go into yeah. quarantine, pay for it again. Jesus. Like, it's not, it's just not worth it, it's especially when there's nothing on the line. So, it's a difficult yeah. one. Yeah, it's real, real. Yeah, you, you, you can't blame them for not wanting to come over if, if they've been away from their families for that long. Yeah. And then would be away from their families again and then would have to quarantine again when they get back so that wouldn't seem fair so so what is the crack with you Luke you, you training with GB at the minute what's the the situ, the situ? so it's going to be quite a short maybe couple of days of training with GB from next week fly to Vancouver play the tournament on the weekend fly to Edmonton play the tournament on the weekend and then I think we'll need to basically do some testing to get out of quarantine when we come back. Um, but we've been given kind of programs and stuff to get on with with ourselves, but very much got more of a invitational feel to it compared to what um, we would be used to normally getting ready for a World Series tournament. Is uh, Obviously, there's no... Um crowd at Vancouver Sevens but what weekend is that taking place? So uh, that is the weekend of uh, the 18th 19th uh, okay will there be no crowd I didn't I didn't well, I don't know that. like I mean this is the thing I haven't actually I haven't actually looked at it too much I, mean, I know Canada a... was in a lockdown at some point fairly recently wasn't it yeah like they're only just starting to open up. That's why I was just wondering because, like, if you were in America, they you could, you know, play in a full stadium if you wanted. But um, they only opened up, I'd say, two or three weeks ago to U.S. tourists. So, really? Yeah. Um, I, they didn't say anything else about anywhere else. So I was just I, that's another thing that surprised me in terms of how teams were going to get in and stuff. But I guess there's like exemptions or something for sport. I'm not not, not sure, but. Um, It'll be interesting to see how it goes. It'll be cool to be in Vancouver, though, during, like, the summertime. Yeah, that's something I'm looking forward to, yeah. Um, I do love going there in the winter, seeing the snow on the mountains, but it'll be quite nice as just a bit of a change-up because I've done that quite a few times now, and uh, apparently it's really, really nice in the summer in Vancouver. Will you you get time? Do you know? I guess you wouldn't, wouldn't know that, would you? I don't know. I've got a feeling there might be kind of bubbles going on in the hotels yeah. and you might only be allowed to do certain things. Fair. I've got the teams here. So men's Canada, USA, GB, Ireland, South Africa, France, Kenya, Spain, Germany, Chile, Hong Kong, Jamaica. So there's 12 teams there, I think. And then women is only four. So it's Canada, USA, yeah. GB and wow. France. So yeah, they're four. trying fast forward. Yeah, they're trying that out. They want to pretend with some of the things that they want to change the World Series to. There might be less teams, but on more weekends potentially. So I think that's why they're trialing these kind of fast four, just to see how they work. Interesting to see. See how that goes down. Yeah, we won't get into it, but we'll we'll be one front of the pod. But definitely, they need to do something after last year's. Well, the last series was a bit of a shambles. Well, not shambles, mm-hmm. but there were things that didn't work so well. So, right, moving on from you, Doctor Yu Hazza. Obviously, joy for you getting to the Olympics, but 
narrowly missed out on the quarters on points difference. How would you sum up the tournament for you, in your eyes? How do you feel it went? I've honestly, I'm not disappointed. Like just because um, of the results, I think. Like, um, if anybody's listened to me talk garbage on any podcast for the last however many amount of years um, or any news article, there's been such a fantastic journey that the Irish team has been on and Luke and has been obviously a part of that with, with the Welsh team and us going over doing training camps in the middle of January and traveling all over the place and the early days playing in England and doing like six games in a day in the Super 7 series and, you know, flying back and um, like the whole journey was to the Olympics. So like, yeah, we, we know that we're better than um, how we played and we definitely could have got better results and, you know, made it through to the quarters and anything could have happened from there. But we were 10th on the World Series um, when we finished up to six legs and we finished in the Olympics in 10th. So, um, if you take it from a standing point of view and you just take it from uh, like a numbers, if that's how you want to look at it, we finished in the exact same place that we finished on the series. So there's that. Um, but like, yeah, didn't play to our best. Um, I'm not really sure what, like why that is. I'm, my gut feeling is just, um, the high of qualifying. It's very, you know, it's very hard to come back from something like that, reset and then go again and then try and reach the same high again. Um, uh, so one of the guy's um, parents actually said to me when we got back to Dublin, he's like, you know what? All I've ever heard about for the last two years from the Irish team is about qualifying for the Olympics because that was our goal. You know, we, we hadn't qualified and we only qualified a month before the Olympics. So it was always about qualifying, qualifying, qualifying. And that's what we did. Um, but for all the other teams that were involved in the Olympics, the last two years have been about, you know, winning or getting a medal at the Olympics. So I guess we were on a different path for two years um, than all the other teams because we we had to qualify in order to get there. And it was only a month before. So that mindset is quite different. Um, whereas if you've been planning for two full years to to win a medal. Uh, or to win the Olympics itself um, as something different. So there's, a, yeah, I think there's a, there's a couple of things that all kind of add up to it. Um, but that's kind of how I feel about the whole thing. I'm definitely not disappointed um, in terms of like where we came or anything like that, because I just think that the achievement in itself is, is worth more than, than the results at the end of the day. But that's just me personally. Hundred percent. I'm glad you don't feel disappointed because I thought yeah. it was insane achievement in the first place. And we all know sevens. We know how tough it is. How bounce of a ball, you know, referee's decision, or just you know, if you have an off game, it can affect a whole weekend. So that's the nature of sevens. And you put in, yeah, you didn't hit the straps that you wanted to, but you put in some good performances and you did yourself proud. So I think all in all, bravo. Well, yeah, I, I loved it. it. To me, it just felt like a massive World Series. That's what it felt like as well. Um, there was probably the number one question I was get got like, oh, you know, was it nerves? Like, were you nervous about playing in the Olympics and the and the venue and um, sort of the whole hype around it? But not really, no. 
you documented in true salty nuts fashion a lot of your time <laughs> in, the, in the village uh no. obviously rona the rona uh, coronavirus uh put limits on what you could and can't do what was what was that experience like it was yeah it was great um so many people just reached out about um me kind of documenting and just putting up stories and kind of what you could do and what you couldn't do and the food and you know if you like there were some parts of like what would you call like an activation you could go to some parts of the village and they were they were doing different things like the ASIC store and all that kind of stuff so um it's the first olympics where people weren't able to like access you know just events and be able to go there so everybody was trying to get as much information as they could about it so i think it's the first year probably social media had a massive impact on the olympics as well people went viral constantly um one of the usa women's rugby players yeah she's big on big on tiktok i'm not sure if i pronounced that correctly but she's like Massive on TikTok. She's verified. She has a million followers after the Olympics. All the comments are like, you're the only reason I'm watching the Olympics. Like, you are Miss Olympics. Like, you're carrying the Olympics. All this kind of stuff. So she's become her own personality, which is fantastic. But, you know, she was showcasing in her life. But um, I really, yeah, I enjoyed it. I just took it in my stride. It was, um, like, as I said, it, it felt like a big a big World Series, um, just with more people about. Um, the Japanese were very hospitable, very friendly. The Food hall was 24 hours. All the food there, I'd say that 80% of the menu would stay the same while we were there. Obviously, you're catering for so many people, you can't change up so much, but there was about 20% of the menu that would change on a, like a daily basis. So small things, whether it was like a margarita pizza turned into a pepperoni, but like, you know, small change of that, or um, the meat would be different at the grill section. Uh, but they catered for everybody in every dietary a uh, requirement that was there that was halal, vegetarian, vegan, non-dairy, gluten-free, everything like that. So that was cool. Um, and then, uh, like, we weren't able to leave the Olympic Village either unless we were traveling out to the venue. So um, the way that the Olympic Village was set up, it was, like, kind of on this, like, island to an extent. It was surrounded by water, three sides, and then there was a road that kind of came into it where there was a big like police blockade. Um, so after about three days, we were there for a week, maybe just over a week. Um, after about three days, you pretty much have done, you did everything that was kind of there. So from then you were just chilling and um, the, you had the cardboard beds and stuff. The anti-shag and, You know, beds. lads like going around. You tested like, that out, didn't yeah. you? You were testing that out. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, I tested it out with three of the lads. Yeah, we were just jumping on top of it, trying to see how much weight we could put through the damn thing. Um, but yeah, you know, when you get bored and stuff, like Luke, as Luke would know, Jerry too, I was running around a few of the days. The record. Pesky for uh, yeah. Pesky. A few, few of the, pe- few of the, pe- <laughs> a few of the pesky for Jeans were coming around and uh, breaking beds and stuff. Um, but yeah, like in true fashion, you get a bit bored and you go around and you. The way that the beds were is like engineering, whatever. So it was like a piece of cardboard that would go this way and a piece of cardboard that would go that way and they all fit into each other's slots. So if you broke it, like kind of a few of them, it would still stay, but obviously like the bed would kind of come in or if you sat down hard enough, you'd kind of go through it slightly. So there was that. And then we set up movie nights. My roommate, Adam Levy, he brought a projector with, with him, which was good crack. And we kind of Jimmy rigged, uh, 
a big projection screen and we had snacks and some of us like um, brought like snacks from home or whatever. So it uh, just made it feel like um, the best that we could and have as much crack as we could when we could. Oh, the probably the best thing, my favorite thing. Yeah, I saw all that. Was collecting you, pin, you pin up lad. It's so nerdy, but like, yeah. So the way that it, it worked is you get a bag of kit before you leave. And next thing you know, they handed us a, a water bottle and in the water bottle was just like, I don't know, 100 pins, for, let's say, or 50 pins, whatever. And all of us are like, what the hell are we going to do with these pins? Like, just, there's not going to be any fans. There's not like, it's not like there's going to be kids at games or whatever you can hand those pins out to. Half the lads didn't even bother bringing them with them. We had no idea what they were for. No one even told us what they were for. They're just, oh, yeah, pins. Like, just do whatever you want with them. It'll be fine. Um, because usually you get a few of them when there's like some sort of um, activation at like a World Series event. Like in Hamilton, we went, there was like a, a welcoming of the tournament in that square. So I went down to that for a little bit to watch and there's sing songs and stuff. So you, usually you'd hand stuff out then. So get to Japan, we're in the village, like walking around and then you have an accreditation on. And next thing you start seeing like a couple of people and they've got like pins on there and you don't really take much notice. The only time you start taking notice is when someone actually comes up to you and asks you for a pin. And then you're kind of like, what, what are they talking about? And then you see that their whole thing is just like decorated in flags. Pins <laughs> the U.S. war every veteran. Basically nation that they pass by. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> decorated. A decorated soldier. So, um as soon as I found out about that, I just went. I just went for it. I went after it, and I just got tried to get every single pin I possibly could. So I got a couple of cool ones. I ended up getting Cuba, which is quite cool. Um, Marshall Islands, which I think is my favorite. Um, small, small little island in the Pacific. Um, but they have one of the coolest flags that I kind of came across. I learned a lot from those random flags you found as well, Hazard. Some I'd never, ever seen before. Or when you were walking up that parade. Oh, yeah. I loved the uh, vex- vexillology lessons you were giving out. <laughs> is that what it's called, is it? <laughs> vexillology is the study of flags. Okay, there you go. Um, so, yeah, I guess from that then, after getting all these pins, um, I just... I saw there's like one street that had basically every flag. Um, the only nation, supposedly, this is Brian Marlin on my team told me this. The only nation that had one athlete was Aruba. And he competed in, I think, His like a 10 meter Aruba. rifle shoot. Don't say that uh, name around me, boss. No. <laughs> Aruba. Oh, why? I've never heard of Aruba. It's Aruba. <laughs> Zaruba. Okay, well, Aruba, Aruba. Oh. Um, Aruba. So it's an island. Yeah, it. It's a constituent country of the Netherlands. Oh, okay. In the Caribbean Sea. Very it's good. Made up. So I think good. they had. I think they had one. Uh, one athlete, and it was the only country with one athlete. But anyway, from collecting the pins, there was one road that had all of the flags, and then. I was walking along that one day and I actually decided, you know what, I'm going to have a look. I'm going to actually take in, you know, what flags are here. Um, and next thing you know, I'm like, I have never seen like 
probably 60% of the flags that were there. I could have done the, I could have done the whole, you know, what flag is this over again twice easy. Um, it was absolutely mental. And the amount of people that reached out and um, sort of interacted and engaged with the social media posts that I was putting up being like, which flag do you think this is? And um, all that kind of stuff was nuts. Uh, I think that's probably the most engagement I've, I've ever had through like a social media style uh, post. So that was quite fun. Uh, I should have done it. I should have done it again, really, realistically, but it was a bit of work as well. Um, you had 205 but, opportunities to do it, mate. Come on. I had you know? 205, but I mean, yeah, I, I had to, you know, get the feet up. I couldn't be walking around all day taking photos of flags. Like, <laughs> flag nods. Flag, flag nods. nods. Yeah, exactly. I am the flag nods. And uh, I heard you had a couple of beers with the Kenyans to celebrate. Can you divulge, <laughs> divulge any more information about that? <laughs> <laughs> no, you need to get on to Andrew Monday, uh, William Baca, and um, Collins and Jira for that for that information. They are they are the three wise men, literally. <laughs> uh, <laughs> for anybody who knows anything about the Kenyans, they love the three wise men. Oh, fair, fair all play. I know is, all I know is that there was three bottles of gin and no mixer to be seen. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of fallen soldiers that's essentially sounds like a oh recipe for a sore throat that does fucking oh my god there was gym. barely any there was barely any music either <laughs> there was, <laughs> was a good crack the Kenyans are I think uh, my fa- would be my favourite on tour um, I've only really got to get to know them recently um, when I played with Doc in um in Bermuda and had the opportunity to play with uh, Collins, Willie, Andrew, um, Oscar as well. They, uh, they're a good bunch of lads. They don't, they, they don't take life too seriously. I think they, they have a good balance. Would you say Loki? They've got a good work-life balance. I'd um, say so. Yeah. They, uh, <laughs> really, really fun group of lads to be around. Um, and yeah, I love spending time with them in Bermuda. Yeah. Um, and you know, for them, even I think the funniest thing that happened was we beat them. But when we beat them, we didn't beat them by enough points to go to the quarterfinals. Um, so after the game, they called me over, and then they started like uh, taking the piss out of me, essentially saying that because we beat them, that they lost their jobs, that they have no more money anymore, that their families have to have pull out of school, and they're going to have to get like food stamps, essentially, when they all go back to Kenya. And that we ruin their lives and that their wives and everything have left them. <laughs> They're walking back to the locker room to say that they've been messages from their family that they've been disowned. Um, but they were all like in stitches laughing. Like they just thought it was so funny. And then we play them in the bloody ninth, tenth, and they end up beating us. So then after the game, I was walking past the room and like stuck the head in. I said, like, hey, Collins, Willie, what's up? I was like, well, my family have now left me, you know, and then they all started laughing. And they're like, oh, actually, good news that our families have taken us back. So you're the one who's missed out. Um, so, like, you know, even after a defeat and all that kind of stuff, they're more than happy to sit around, chat, have have a good laugh and see the funny side of the whole thing and take a good stance on it all. And um, cause, because we had finished um, in ninth, 10th, we actually only had one game on the on the final day. 
Um, there was no um, like the other teams. They had like the, they had the semi and then the final. Um, so we all just swapped kit, traded jerseys and everything afterwards. And I think Kenyan jerseys is probably some of the most sought after jerseys after. So I ended up getting Andrew's jersey um, uh, after the game, which is quite nice because he's he just retired as well from was it 15 years on the series or something like that? And 20 years of like, uh, 20 years of representing Kenya, which is absolutely yeah, insane. It's crazy. He's 10 years older than me. <laughs> Cut him open, see how many rings is inside him. He's, he's <laughs> old, uh, older than time himself. <laughs> he's it's older than God's dog, yeah. It's <laughs> mental. And he's built like a brick shit house essentially you need to get him on here solid we'll get him on here we'll and have a on. chat with one of the wise men one of the wise men yeah he's the wisest of them all I reckon I'd so, say yeah. so as well, yeah. yeah no it was a good crack all together fair play and then you flew straight back to LA watched the Giltinis in the final they won the final beat Atlanta 31-17 that's pretty awesome considering you've only been in existence for 12 months. So you're not only Olympian, but you're an MLR champion as well. But you celebrated by being flown mm-hmm. to Vegas. Now, that is management done right. Yeah. What well, went I, on? We got actually, half of, no, I'd say 70% of us actually were stuck on a bus. The other 30% were flown out, but I think they paid for their flight. But yeah, got a bus to Vegas, which was five hours. So, management done almost right. Almost right. And I, yeah. what went on? I loved some of the fancy dress because Cooper and Ghetto were dressed as Avatar. That was yeah. insane. What went on? What were those three days like? Was it so? Three days? Obviously, I, yeah, I came in really, really late. The whole thing. So I didn't even know that there was like themes or anything that was happening. Essentially, the game was on a Sunday. Went out Sunday, then um, Monday got on a bus to Vegas. So it was two nights in Vegas. We stayed at the Wynn Hotel. Um, and then when we were on the bus. We ended up stopping in a, like the most random part of the world. I don't know where. Barstow, it was called. I've never heard of it in my life. It was, but essentially, it was a road and a massive like stop area with food and stuff like that. So I found out that it was a blue and pink theme, like the Giltinis, hence the avatars. Uh, from from the lads, so I just picked up some random kit that was there, and then um, yeah, like went in, stayed in the win. The first was it the first night. Jesus, like as you were saying, like how can you remember things that happened only a few weeks ago? Um, <laughs> one of the nights we ended up in uh, in the, in one of the nightclubs, and we had like a kind of a VIP booth, and they came in with all like the sparklers and brought in like bottles of vodka and gin and all that kind of stuff which was really great crack and i think it, it wasn't even really that crazy from like a partying point of view like especially that night because it was so bizarre being in such a massive venue and uh, being taken care of like that i think people were really just sort of taking in the whole moment to an extent you know because to be able to afford buying bottles and being in the vip access in in vegas is like a crazy amount of money so it was like, okay, well, let's make the most of this then. Um, and then we, like when we were all dressed up, we just went to like a, a bar that was in, in Vegas somewhere that we kind of took over, essentially just had drinks. And again, we were just taking it all in. Um, 
I'd like to think it was a bit more crazy than it was. Uh, maybe it was crazier for others than it was for me. But I just think um, after such like a big year and everything that happened, it was more of a case of, yeah, let's just celebrate and enjoy the whole thing. Um, it was cool to be in the win. I, I, won, I, I lost money and I won money. So I think I'm even with the house, which is great. Um, there you go. About the strippers? Uh, huh? <laughs> the rippers um, yeah we we ended up in a, a in a strip club on the first night actually when we got in because again it was like taken care of as well it was like go in but um, they had like this big room and then it was just like 40 lads or 30 lads just sat in the room and then it was like a few people just came in obviously did did a few dances and then left but um, what was it called it was like rhinestone unicorn or some shit like that I don't um. know but yeah, we just went in, had a few drinks or whatever, and then headed out. Um, bit of crack. So, um, yeah, as, if it, like as I say, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But again, didn't really get up to anything too crazy. Um, it's good fun. Sorry, I, I, I wish I had more. I wish I had more funny stories for you. I'm sure like as soon as this podcast will finish, I'll be like, oh, God, this happened, that happened, this happened. But um, that was a good crack. Oh, we got the bus okay. back then as well. Five hours back. That was probably. Oh, <laughs> 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 I bet there's some demons on that bus. There's any the anxiety train. I laid down on the floor of the bus in the middle of it, took both of my shoes off, like flipped one on top of the other, and just slept on that literally for two and a half hours till we got to the stop point. Went inside, got like a drink, came back in straight again back on the shoes and woke up in LA. It was actually okay. Relatively okay because I slept the whole way. Um, <clears throat> the bus out there was long. Let me tell you. Long, long. Um, so yeah, that was good. I just want to ask you two more. I want to ask you okay. how the tats were because you obviously got the Olympic tats on the uh, mm. on the ribs. Was that always going to be mm. the ribs? And, and how was that? Yeah, uh, that was always the case. So whenever, when the Olympics or when rugby was nominated as an Olympic sport and it was in the 2016 Olympics, obviously we had an opportunity to qualify in Monaco, which we didn't, but even that question would have come up. You know, if you qualify for the Olympics, we get the tattoo. And uh, where would you get it? So even back all the way, all the way back then, as far as I can remember, I always wanted to get it on uh, my right rib, uh, the reason for that was that everyone said that the ribs were meant to be the sorest place and kind of... Oh, you're odd. For me. <laughs> you're odd. <laughs> but it was more like all the hard work and everything that went into going to the Olympics um, or, you know, to qualify, whatever it may be, and all the pain that you would go through, all that kind of crack. Um, I kind of wanted to get it in a place that sort of is synonymous with pain and a tough place to get a tattoo. Now, to be honest with you, it was my first ever tattoo. Um, it was nowhere near as sore as I was nearly expecting or thought it might have been. I think that's more down to like how long the tattoo takes rather than the position itself. I think if it was like a tattoo that I was taking for like three hours long that was going across my ribs, then it would have been a whole different beast, but I think it was maybe like a 30, 40 minute tattoo. It was really nothing 
nothing crazy. So, um, yeah, it's good. It's healing up and, um, yeah, it's great. A few of the boys have got it now as well. Did you like seek out a certain artist or do it in a special way or was it just... I had this whole plan. I had this massive kind of plan that I was trying to get it done. Uh, tradition, like I was trying to get um, traditional style Japanese tattoo. It's called Tabori, where it's like a stick poke style. Um, I found an artist in LA. There's only like three of them in LA or maybe three of them in California that do it. I wanted to originally get it done in Japan, uh, but it just wasn't really working out. I just couldn't really get it, uh, um, whether it was time or just an artist and just what just wasn't really going all to plan so i ended up getting it done um in like the tattoo shop that wasn't too far for i was living in venice and abikini um went in there one of the days and the guys were really really nice uh really great to chat to really friendly um and there's kind of i guess some sort of some sort of like idea that i had in my head that you go to tattoo places and they might be a bit like uh blunt and they could be a bit like off-putting and they can kind of be a bit serious and all that kind of stuff so when i felt um that these guys were really nice and friendly and and were willing to chat and go through different options and talking through sizes and what they thought might be best and all that kind of stuff i felt like yeah do you want i'll give these guys my business and stuff so uh, yeah really happy yeah it looks good give us a give us a show yeah Get your tats out for the boys. Bit of colour. Nice. So got Very one nice. get it in colour. There you go. Um some guys get it in black and uh I want to always to get it in colour. Some guys get it like here. I think Rochi actually got it here, which is quite cool. I really like that. Swick. I saw um, that. Yeah. Cubby got his there. It's quite a cool position. It's quite a cool position. You don't see many tattoos there. Uh Greg got his on the back of his uh calf. Um, I don't know if you saw that or the story behind that. Essentially, he like ruptured his that, Achilles, yeah. so it's on that leg because he wasn't sure if he'd be able to like play or get up to Christ, they stand it again, which is quite cool. You'd too. have to do it extra small if you're my calves, it wouldn't bloody fit. Yeah, <laughs> it would wrap. It'd be it wrap around. Like. You'd have to put two on one calf and then three on the other. They have half and half. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. So um, yeah, it's cool to see where guys are getting them and all that kind of stuff. And I guess it's just part of the whole thing, isn't it really? Definitely. Definitely. And what is the situation with you moving forward now? Are you, you're in oh. LA. Do you, can you disclose, are you like Luke where it's, uh, oh, fuck yeah, signed, disclose, a, yeah. signed a memorandum um, agreement? No, 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 no. Today I'm actually, I think I can disclose from today. Um, the MLR have some sort of clause where players, um, on teams, teams, I think, set out like a list of a certain amount of players who can't be contacted by other clubs um, for like trade options, all this kind of stuff. It's like, a, yeah, you can't touch these players. But then if you're not on that list, essentially, I think clubs can then contact you and talk to you and stuff. Um, the way that it's working this year is that LA, um, the number of foreign allocation spots that they have are lessened. And I think that's just because like in the first year that a team joins, they, they're allocated a few more to kind of help boost the, the club and uh, I guess even the playing field to an extent. Um, and then I think the second year, then there's an agreement that they lessen. So they're lessening. So I'm kind of in like a limbo at the moment, like talking to LA and they're trying to sort out basically 
where they're going to allocate their foreign spots throughout the club. Some of those foreign spots are already taken, obviously, through guys who signed more than a one-year deal. I only signed a one-year. Um, and then other guys um, that are foreign allocated have left the club. Um, so those would be in certain positions. Um, so I think they said this week on Friday, going to have another one-on-one with them. So hopefully get a bit more clarity. So I guess what they're doing now is they're going to speak to other players from clubs that aren't on the protected list. And I think they're going to try and see like which uh, locally based players they can get or locally not. I don't mean locals in California, I mean like um, in terms of like American and, and Canadian who can, I guess, fill uh, certain spots if they're up to the standard, I suppose. So I'm kind of in the limbo because they don't really know who they can access and then where the farm spots are going to go. So, I don't know. My, you know, I'd love to stay here. Um, I would love to do like two years um, and really just get stuck into the city and the lifestyle and the opportunities. And it's just, it's a crazy place, America, to be honest with you. Um, the, the food's mental and, you know, like just the way that people live and, things that go on are crazy or whatever. Um, but like the opportunities that are associated with just like living here. And um, if you're open to, you know, meeting new people and just having a chat, you never know what will happen. Um, so my schedule that has been, you know, the last since March essentially to this point has been really crazy. And I feel a bit just like pulled apart, like stretched out. I was in, Bermuda for seven weeks. I get to California. I was in California for about eight. I then go back home to Ireland for six weeks. And then I get here and I've been here for about two, two and a half weeks, three, maybe. Um, so it's just been up and down. I haven't really been able to settle. I'd love to just get to your deal, uh, put all my stuff into an apartment, just like leave it there for two years, get stuck in, really be part of the city, um, and, you know, meet people, make opportunities and all that kind of stuff. Like last night, my sister, like there was a, really, it was quite a nice sunset and my sister went for a walk and I was really tired. I was like, oh, I'm not going to bother. She texted me. She's like, come down, bring like, um, bring your phone, come take a couple photos. I don't even really like it. I run down. Um, I go down to this pier and there's a guy there with this massive film camera. So obviously being like a camera nerd, I'm like attracted over to his face, like straight away. Um, he's got uh, like a Mamiya RZ67, which is this crazy professional camera from Japan. And he's got on a tripod. We start talking. Next thing you know, like we swap Instagrams or whatever. He's got like 200,000 followers. And he's like a really big surf photographer. And he was the most chilled out dude. He like invited me down to come for a swim and go take photos and, of like the surfers that come through Manhattan beach and stuff like that. And that's literally just, you know, you just walk along the beach and those opportunities just, I feel like don't happen anywhere else in the world. So, um, yeah, like if another club approached me and I thought that it was right to go there and that I could, you know, have the same standard of living or the same sort of opportunities that were available to me, then, you know, um, and if LA didn't want to keep me, then I would be down to, to chat with them and, and go there. But that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. So it's a bit of a limbo. Hence why I might head, head out to Hawaii for about five days to just make it even more limbo-y, you know, get the, get the hula on and actually do the limbo. 
<laughs> Getting LA so Guillotines. We'll That'll be the new film. No, man, I, I hope it. I hope you resign. Yeah. As, you, as your brother signed, yeah. what's the... Uh, he's on a two-year, yeah. But, like, again, my, my brother's kind of in the same position. Not the same, but to an extent, like, he doesn't know if he's on that list or whatever. So, you know... If, a trade could happen or a team if a team really wanted him or whatever and offered enough you never know so it's, it's one of those things like it's, it's crazy it's like it's why I kind of know, love American sports American yeah it's kind of why I love American sports it's just like they could do that in the like, NFL it's like would, you're off you're going you're going pack up your bags yeah like ba- baseball because there's no um, there's no like real uh, calls and stuff in baseball unless you're like a pitcher right you're just standing in the outfield, the ball gets hit to you, catch it, or if, if it uh, if you don't catch it, you just throw it to one of the basemen, depending where the runner's going. So, like, anybody can essentially play for any team. You walk in mid-season to your locker, and they're like, yeah, you're going to... Uh, like, They've been traded know. in the middle of games, though, haven't they? Baseball players. Essentially. Like, they, they start a game, and then by the end of the game, they're being signed to a different team. Like, mm-hmm. like don't worry but about your family playing. and your kids. Pull them out of school. They go in... They go in across the country but they'll end up playing for that team like in their next game like a day or two later it's not like a little bit of oh yeah well you know we'll get you we'll see how you get on with the lads it's like you're in left field tonight son like good luck (laughs) I don't go home it's mental (laughs) I don't even know where I'm living (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah like you're you're, the way you know is your your swipe card doesn't let you into the building you're like oh no here we go. Just the, the HR lady comes out with an envelope. A couple of plane tickets and a set of car keys, yeah? There you go. Can't be good for anyone's uh, anxiety <laughs> levels, can it? No, imagine one bad game. <laughs> oh, shit. Being sent to Maine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Imagine, you could be playing for, like, the LA Dodgers. Next thing you know, you end up, like... Kentucky. Going to... <laughs> yeah, I mean, not to... Well, bad one on Kentucky, but like you know, it's a completely different world, it's a completely different lifestyle, completely different city. Rhode Island, you've been um, traded to Rhode Island, yeah. Like, you know, you could end up anywhere, uh, mental, and like you don't even really know about it. It's all, isn't it? Like, you're the manager and your agent, and all that kind of stuff, and the other teams. It's not even, you know, it's not like you get told, hey, mate, like, there's a possibility this could come up. It's like, hey, you're gone, pesky, adios. Oh, I- I'd say even with social media as well, how many people like find out through social media? Uh, like, you know, if it gets leaked or something. Could you imagine being on Twitter? Fucking... Chris Knight, rumors he's being sent to this team. And you're like sat in your living room. They don't want him either. No one wants him. <laughs> no. Now, speaking of Chris Knight, asking all the questions. Mate, you've been on some run as well. Ah, just just did a cycle. Or, or, or bike. Or bike. Or bike. On a bike, yeah. or you've been on some cycle as well. Yeah. It, it, you can't. Come on. Yeah. Come on, it, you got to give us this lowdown. It was. Uh, Mr. Wales. It was interesting. Mr. Wales himself. So I, I tried to, to do north to south on a mountain bike, uh, bike packing, which is essentially cycling and camping. I had this route, an old Roman road that runs from Conway on the north to Gower, where I live on the south. And. Yeah, I detoured it. I was trying to detour it over the three Welsh peaks, which make up uh, the three Welsh peaks, so Snowdon, Cader, and Penavan. So it uh, didn't, didn't go to plan. Uh, weather was horrific. Um, moist moist would be an understatement. Uh, it was, yeah, 
torrential rain and almost sort of really, really strong winds at times. So had a headwind for four straight days, didn't stop raining the first day and was like 30 mile an hour winds. So we had to abandon our attempt to summit on day one. Ended up sleeping in a slate mine, um, which was my friend Sam who did it with me. He actually cycled from Swansea to Singapore a couple of years ago. And he said it was worse than the time he slept in a storm drain in China. So that, that gives it some context. But yeah, we we, we ended up in this sort of tunnel beneath a, a old slate mine sort of building. And it was like a crack den. It was just stingy nettles, sheep shit, no flat ground. But it was cover. So we sort of left our bikes there and slept outside in bivy bags. We didn't take tents. Another terrible mistake. Um, but yeah, got eaten alive by midges. That was day one. Uh, day two didn't get any better. Um where we were meant to stay was locked, bolted shut. We were meant to stay in like a mountain bothy, they're called, which is like an emergency shelter that was bolted shut. And it was like 50 mile an hour winds on the summit again. So we were like, it's not worth trying to carry our bikes up and over. So we abandoned summit two. So great start, zero from two. It got a bit better in the middle, um, but the weather was still pretty average. But we managed to get the third summit in the bag. Didn't see a thing. Um, we went up and over. It was just like, it was constant rain, strong winds, but not that bad. Uh, couldn't see a thing. Uh, and then, yeah, rather than sleeping in the rain on the fifth fifth night, we cycled an extra 30 miles home and then finished it off the next day. But, yes, yeah, five and a half days, 230 miles, about nine, you know, 7,000 metres of elevation. So tough old ride. Um, in, in hindsight, I wish I took a tent and wish I did it in better weather. But... Uh, yeah, that's that's what I've been up to. But I, I'm I've been speaking the doc. I'm deliberating dusting the boots off for Dubai Invitational Sevens. He's coming back. <laughs> he's he's coming back. Yes. The Dark Knight Rises. Yes. What what team is uh what team is potentially plucking you from from the back? Ah, the US. He 7. can't say he can't say, but he signed a non-disclosure. He's on yeah, and NDA. Is it the Princess of Monaco team? Yeah? There's an offer of a 13th man <laughs> slash player coach. So I'm I'm debating Class. I'm debating taking it up. So uh, Luke's going to be my PT. Um, but we'll see. I'll I'll see how the training goes over the next couple of couple of weeks. But not 100. Yeah, percent I'm about 70 percent sure I'll I'll go for it. But we'll we'll see. We'll see. It's, it's been a long time. Last competitive game Pain was... Pain is temporary, yeah? Last competitive game was October 2016. So it's, wow. it's been a long 70%, 70% time. 70% is pretty much 100% burner. So you're pretty much doing but it. But we played some touch rugby against 15-year-old kids and we mugged them right off. So I feel good, you know? Good, good. Yeah, That's we've still play. never lost rugby to 7, 15 to 16-year-olds. Exactly. Exactly. Keep it up, lads. Well done. No, that's good going. I'll see. I'll see. Um, not guaranteed, but yeah, that's me. That's me. Not much other news, but uh, yeah. There. Thanks, gents. I've got to shoot. So, been an absolute pleasure. Uh, as always, we've been the Alicadoos. Uh, stay fit, stay safe, and merry autumn. Merry autumn to you all. Borada. Dioch Vaur. <laughs>